The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, you'll hear from former NFL player and best-selling author of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, Emmanuel Acho, on difficult conversations around race and systemic inequity in America. Acho spoke with my colleague Jane Wells at CNBC's Equity and Opportunity Forum on March 10, 2022, about overcoming implicit bias, acknowledging privilege, and having uncomfortable conversations about race and injustice. Here's their conversation. You've written and, and talked and podcast about difficult conversations, so let's have a difficult conversation about the business world. Right now, given everything that's happened, there's been a lot of talk, some action. Is it any easier for a black person to get a good paying job and to move up the chain of management, in your opinion? Yeah, I think it is easier for a black person singular, but I'm not convinced that it is easier for black people collectively. Um, I think in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, we saw so much positive action verbally, so much commitment from different companies, from different organizations, from different businesses. And that change allowed for black a black person here or a black person there to climb the corporate ladder, whatever corporate company they have been at. But I don't think that we have yet fixed or figured out how to fix the systemic and structural fractures that currently exist in society. So if you want to talk about a black person singular, absolutely. I do believe that it has been easier uh, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. And the reason I say easier is just because there's now been an awareness to the lack of diversity across several corporations. However, we still have to fix the systemic and the structural issues uh, apart large scale organizations. I want to talk about those. One thing you've written about is implicit bias. So if two resumes come in, one says Emmanuel Acho and the other says Jane Wells. Uh, the manager may say, you know what, I really like that, Jane Wells. Um, how do you, what advice do you give to someone to sort of check themselves and think about their implicit bias in a hiring process or promotion process? Yeah, Jane, you bring up a good point. The study says that two people with equal resumes, the person with the white sounding name is twice as likely to get the job as the person with the black sounding name. This was based upon empirical data from 2017. Um, I always say this, denial, the word, the word denial spelled D-E-N-I-A-L, don't even know I am lying. Um, you can't fix a problem, Jane, that you do not know exists. And so to those that want to understand the concept of implicit bias, well, first understand that there is a problem in which you might not actually be aware of. Understand that Maybe you didn't even realize that you prefer the person with the white sounding name as an employer. Maybe you're not even cognizant of the fact that you err against the person with the black sounding name, if you will. Jane, I think we need to do a better job of 
trying to acquire information, not just where it's easiest to see, but rather where we actually desire the information. I'll give it to you in story form, Jane. If you and I were to walk into a restaurant and you and I were to go into the restaurant and as soon as we walk inside, I pat my pockets down and I'm like, Jane, I must have dropped my keys outside. So I'm like, Jane, will you come help me look for them? You say, of course, Emmanuel. We walk outside, I turn right, and I start searching under the nearest light pole. Well, Jane, you might say, Emmanuel, we didn't come in from the right, we came in from the left. To which I would reply, I understand, Jane, but this is where it's easiest to see. That's what so many companies, organizations, and employers do. They go under the nearest figurative light pole where it is easiest to identify talent, predominantly white institutions, under the nearest light pole where it's easiest to hire and fire nepotism, cronyism, let me hire my family, cronyism, let me hire my friends, as opposed to actually trying to do what is best to encourage diversity within organizations. When you talk to corporate leaders, and I know you've also done some things with Accenture, are they hearing you? Man, well, Jane, the person who speaks in absolutes is the absolute liar. So it would be hard <laughs> for me. It would be hard for me to speak in an absolute. Um, the companies like Accenture absolutely are more than hearing me. They are speaking alongside and with me and, and, and led by Jimmy Etheridge, CEO of Accenture, who's just done a phenomenal job and is continuing to take strides within that company. But I would say the CEOs at large desire to listen. The first step towards change is desire. But eventually we have to move from optics to outcomes. After George Floyd was murdered, every company was worried about optics because optics might affect bottom line. But at this junction in time, we need to move away from optics and really start to move towards outcomes. We need to stop counting numbers and make sure that the numbers count. So I won't speak in absolutes, but I am very encouraged by the conversations I've had and with whom I've had them. Probably one of the biggest and most successful companies in America is the NFL, your former employer. And we've heard everything, you know, Brian Flores's uh, accusations that uh, there's only really paid lip service to hiring black coaches. And we've got this race norming situation with uh, black former players getting lower payments for potential dementia. Is there, if, having been in the NFL, is the NFL closer to being egalitarian than the rest of the world or behind or in step? Great, great, great question. Um, the NFL is a microcosm of society. Here's what I mean. I do not think that there is overt racism within the NFL. I think that there is racial ignorance within the NFL. I think that there is um, racial bias within the NFL. Let me give you all an example. Everyone knows of the Dallas Cowboys, America's team, led by owner and general manager Jerry Jones. Well, during Jerry Jones' most impressionable years in college, when he was the captain of the Arkansas Razorbacks football team, that Arkansas team was not at all integrated. So during Jerry Jones' most impressionable years, he did not have legitimized interaction with black people. So it is no coincidence then that Jerry Jones has had the opportunity to hire several head coaches over the course of his Cowboys tenure, none of which have been black. Conversely, last year's Super Bowl champion, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, had the most diverse coaching staff in the history of football, both employing women, employing black people, etc. Bruce Arians, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, was the first white player at Virginia Tech, his college years, to have a black roommate. 
So it's not as though I think the owners are overtly racist. That is not the issue. There's a systemic issue. The NFL is not based upon uh, 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 the harder you work, the more you get out of it. The NFL is not a meritocracy. There's a word I was searching for. The NFL is truly based upon nepotism. You hire your family or cronyism. You hire your friends. Well, if white men have always been in hiring and firing positions of power and the NFL is based upon nepotism and based upon cronyism, then white men will continually hire white men. And those white men will continually hire white men. And those white men, well, you all see where I am going with this one. So I don't think that the NFL is any further or any farther behind, further ahead or lagging behind. I think the NFL is a microcosm of a macro issue. Byron Allen is a very successful black media mogul who has expressed interest in buying the Denver Broncos and to break into that white male club. But you also talk about, you told Colin Coward, there's this kind of, you know, private text thread for the owners and, and the white coaches. And you're always wondering, what's the catch? And am I going to be on the text thread? If you had a black owner at the table, would that change something? in the NFL regarding race? Absolutely. Um, story form is the best way I believe to learn a lesson. So let's talk in story form. In 2007, for the first time in NFL history, two black head coaches met in the Super Bowl. It was Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith. Tony Dungy was the coach for the Indianapolis Colts and Lovey Smith was the coach for the Chicago Bears. First time NFL history, two black coaches met in the Super Bowl. Well, Lovey Smith, who gave him his first NFL coaching opportunity? It was none other than Tony Dungy in 1996 when Tony Dungy was the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Why do I say this? Because it took a black man giving another black man an opportunity to become a coach. And 11 years later, those two black men were now meeting in the Super Bowl at the highest level. Jane, statistically speaking, there was less than a 4% chance that two black head coaches would meet in the Super Bowl in 2007. But it took one black man giving another black man an opportunity. Off mic, off camera, you and I were discussing Brian Flores. Uh, we may get into this here in, in, in a second as we wind down. But Brian Flores sued the NFL, yet was given another opportunity to coach in the NFL. He was given that opportunity by Mike Tomlin, maybe a top three coach of this generation by Mike Tomlin, the only current black head coach with legitimized equity by Mike Tomlin, who was under the Rooney ownership. And Rooney literally created the Rooney rule, which says you must interview a minority candidate when there is a coaching vacancy. So absolutely black ownership would make a difference. What about your own journey? You talked about in the book how you had to kind of, you know, uh, check yourself. Like if you and I were to get in an elevator together and we didn't know each other, um, you would be very, I'd be very aware. Of course, I'd be thinking, I think I'm going to be honest. I think I'd be more aware because you're bigger than I am. But I'd also be aware that you're also black. And then I'd have this internal conversation of like, why are you noticing that? What does that matter? You know, and I'd have this uncomfortable conversation, I'd probably overcompensate for it, like saying, hi, you know, something ridiculous like that. And then continue the conversation in my head, like, why did you do that? Uh, are you feeling more at ease in situations like that? If you know what I'm saying. Of course, I know what you're saying, because we all do that. And I think anybody watching would be lying if they tried to act as though what you just said was odd or awkward or unforeseen, because we've all done that. I don't feel any more at ease, but I just don't feel any more at ease because I know society is incredibly volatile. And I know that the interaction between 
my white brothers and sisters and my black brothers and sisters can go awry and can go astray at any point in time. I think the media portrays negativity more, much more than it portrays positivity. And as a result, I am unaware that my blackness can at any point in time be portrayed as a danger to someone and whiteness can at any point in time be weaponized. And so I am no more at ease, but I do try to acknowledge individuals because I said this, Jane, proximity breeds care and distance breeds fear. And I do believe that small high that you might exchange in the elevator is instantly disarming. This person is a human. They might be black. They might be white. They might be taller. They might be shorter. They might be bigger. They might be smaller. But more importantly, this person is a human and they feel just like I do. I used to think, you know, look, my folks were poor. I had no money. I worked my butt off. I got scholarships. You know, we all start from the same place. What I've learned is that even though slavery ended almost 160 years ago, there were laws and policies and redlining that have continued to perpetuate keeping black people in this country down. So that I came to the realization that I was born on second base, to use a baseball analogy. I only needed to hit a double. In 2022, 159 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, if you had a son born today, is he on home base still and is my grandson still on second base? It's interesting. I have to make this question bigger because if you just say my son, particularly the son of Emmanuel Acho, well, I have tried to work uh, twice as hard because I understand that for the most part, black people, we have a saying, you have to work twice as hard to get half as much. So I have tried to work in a position to put my lineage, uh, my kin, if you will, uh, further ahead. But I will say black people at large in totality in general are clearly still um, behind white people. And it's very, very simple. Um, my white brothers and sisters had roughly a 300 year head start. And so if you have a 300 year head start, just because we started to acknowledge racism within the last 50 years, and just because we started to uh, emancipate slavery within the last 160 years, I mean, realistically speaking, that would not make anything equal. Uh, look at it as from a race perspective. If you and I were both on a track, Jane, and you were 300 meters ahead of me, even if they announced go at a certain point in time, I would still be further behind you. So it would be both ignorant and naive to think that black people and white people are on equal footing. However, um, as a society, we should, we can, and we have uh, continued to grow. You get the final word. What do you want corporate America to come away from this? The managers and executives watching this, the, the employees, the, the, the would-be employees. I would want every manager, CEO to know, be a thermostat and not a thermometer, because a thermostat has the ability to change the temperature in a room, but a thermometer simply has the ability to read the temperature in a room. So as a company, as an employer, as a CEO, don't just read the climate of our current culture, but change the climate of our current culture. Don't just respond when you see racism and when you see the unnecessary killing of different people, but be proactive to ensure it doesn't happen. Don't wait for something tragic to happen to change your company, but do a self audit within your company. Be on the forefront of changing our society. Be proactive as opposed to reactive because a thermometer and a thermostat, they both serve a purpose, but a thermostat always has the ability to change and a thermometer simply has the ability to read. That was Emmanuel Acho, former NFL player and New York Times bestselling author. He joined us on CNBC's Equity and Opportunity Forum on March 10, 2022. 
The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. Don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also visit CNBCEvents.com to learn about upcoming events and how you can join us. And we'd love to see you there. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.